You are listening to On the Rise, a podcast from West Claremont Schools. Thanks for joining us as we explore our core values of relationships, innovation, student-centeredness, and empowerment. And now, say hello to today's host, Mr. Mike Overby, our Chief Operating Officer. Welcome to the West Claremont On The Rise podcast. I'm Mike Overby, Chief Operating Officer, and I'm here today with Julie Howard, Merwin Elementary Assistant Principal, and Tyler Lucas, the Assistant Director of Elementary Teaching and Learning and Special Education. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having us, Mike. No problem. No problem. Doing great. Happy to be here. Thanks. So, uh, Julie, what is your background and your current role here at West Claremont? So my background before I came to West Claremont was primarily in special education. I came from an intervention specialist role. I worked um, in a classroom with students with autism, um, ages 18 to 22 for my first year. And then I went into another classroom for students with autism for middle school age students and went from there to be the director of educational services at Stepping Stones. Um, So that was my background. I did a little bit of administration there, too, and I decided I wanted to get into public school, so I came over here to West Claremont, and now I'm entering my third year as an assistant principal. Wow, time flies. Time flies. It's your third year. And Tyler, what about yourself? So my background is I was a special education teacher in um, Kentucky. I taught kindergarten and first grade special education, and then I moved to middle school where I supported sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Great. And your role has changed here at West Claremont. So can you talk about where you started and where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in West Claremont now for um, five years. This is my sixth year. Um, Started at the middle school. I was the uh, middle school special education supervisor for two years. And then since then, I've transitioned to preschool and elementary. So um, right now, I oversee all of the preschool for the district. We have 22 total classrooms in preschool where we support special education students and um, they're typically developing peers. Um, And I also kind of oversee, um, help oversee special education at all of the elementary schools as well. Great. So Tyler's had multiple roles in the district. And I think, Julie, this is your third elementary too, right? Yes, it is. Yes, I was at Holly Hill and Willowville combined my first year, and Mm. then Willowville last year, and then this is my first year at Merwin. And Tyler and I have been lucky enough to overlap at two of those schools, too. We actually shared an office together at Holly Hill, Um, and then last year at Willowville, I did the evaluations for preschool, so we overlapped a lot in our role last year, too, and were able to work together frequently. So, Julie, what does a elementary assistant principal look like at West Claremont? What's a day look like? What do you do? It's everything. (laughs) It's whatever the kids need, whatever the teachers need the day of. um, I think my day is split into a couple different chunks. The first part of the day is planning and preparing, and then it goes into reacting. um, Whatever else comes up that day, whether it be student needs or teacher needs or um, changes and substitutes, whatever comes up, helping out where I can. Um, observing, and then uh, debriefing with staff is kind of the next part, and then trying to prepare for the next day. So every day I kind of go through that cycle, and depending on what else is happening, that'll change what time those different pieces start. Um, But it's a lot of fun because every day is different. Mm -hmm. And Tyler, how about yourself? You have a very long title, but what does that really mean in day-to-day, what your work looks like, and what do you do? 
Yeah, similar to Julie, I would say one thing that's great about this job is you never know exactly what your day is going to entail. Mm -hmm. Um, But I um, spend a lot of time supporting our preschool programs. Like I mentioned, we have 22 classrooms. They're spread out across the district, but they're primarily at Holly Hill and Willowville. So I spend a lot of my time supporting the um, teachers in the classrooms there. And then um, my other time, this year I'm at Willowville and Summerside, Mm -hmm. and um, within those buildings I'm there to help support special education and then um, also general education, you know, curriculum and whatever is needed with the teachers and the administration there. So you both have a very, very impressive career with special education, and uh, we're just coming off a very hard two years with COVID. How has that impacted your work in special education and our students? Man, COVID was challenging for everybody, but I think it hit um, the education field definitely the hardest. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still don't think we're, we're fully going to know the impact that COVID had on um, teachers and our students mm-hmm. until, you know, we get down the road a little bit, but definitely seeing a lot more um, student need coming up, especially in the area of special education. Mm-hmm. Behavior, academics, combination there, both? Yeah, I think everything, all the above. I think what we've noticed is just because of the numbers of, of students, general education and special ed, who need extra support right now, that services are just stretched in, in general across multi, every district in the in the state. And um, we're just trying to do the best that we can for kids. Um, but because of that need, some of our kids who do receive special education, um, it, it's been hard for them to uh, get some of the help that they need, and they may have fallen behind in that time as well. So what I invited you to talk about today was CPI, Crisis Prevention Institute, and how we use their training materials here in our district uh, to support our students and our staff. So what's the purpose of CPI? So CPI is a training program um, that school districts can use to train staff members who work with students that can potentially get into crisis. Mm -hmm. So when they escalate and they're to the point where they might be hurting themselves or hurting other staff members Mm -hmm. when they're upset, um, CPI teaches staff members how to a verbally de-escalate that child to try to get them back into you know the right frame of mind and then b if the student is not able to be de-escalated how to safely um, hold the student so that they do not hurt themselves or others until they're able to be de-escalated that's right and i think that the emphasis in cpi is on that crisis prevention piece And that's where Tyler and I try to focus the bulk of our training uh, when we do the CPI training sessions for our staff. Um, Because if you do that effectively, if you do the verbal de-escalation effectively, if you use the right body language and can help um, calm that person and de-escalate them, then there is not a need for the hold and the blocking skills um, that we teach later on in the course. So we really try to emphasize how important that is to, um, to use those skills. What we failed to mention earlier was that Tyler and Julie are two of our trainers for CPI in the district. So that's why I asked them to be here today, but, uh, and that they would have some intimate knowledge of the uh, training that needs to take place. So you might have answered a bit of this, Julie, in your answer and Tyler's too, but why is it needed? What's, what's the importance of CPI? 
Um, students can go into crisis for so many reasons during the school day. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of pressure that is put on students to perform well in academics. Um, there's a lot of social pressure in schools. And um, there's just been so much changing around kids because of the pandemic. Um, so being able to respond to their needs, to notice when they're feeling anxiety, to um, notice when they're starting to get into that heightened behavior and be prepared to help them to de-escalate and provide strategies and interventions that are good for them to calm their bodies, um, that is extremely important in schools today. So it's not just only for special education students. That these, is correct. These right. de-escalation strategies can be used for uh, general education um, elementary, middle school, high school students? Yeah, absolutely. So part of the training is um, just how to deal with any student in crisis. Doesn't have to be your special education students, any student that you encounter preschool through, you know, 12th grade, any student can be in crisis. And it just really teaches our uh, staff members how to handle these students Mm -hmm. and how to help them get back into, you know, a calm demeanor where they can, you know, focus on school and have, you know, a productive day at school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You both have used the word, a big word, de-escalation. Like, put that in layman's terms. What does de-escalation mean? So I think of de-escalation as as when a student is amped up, they're angry, they're frustrated, they're mad, um, how to get them back to their baseline, how to get them back to the point where they're, they're calm and they're able to interact appropriately with their staff and, and their other students and just, you know, learn. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I think um, a lot of times the the reason for a a student becoming escalated has to do with communication, Um, that they did not feel comfortable communicating what they needed at the time. Um, Because of their anxiety, they weren't able to communicate what they needed at the time. So truly, when we have someone who is de-escalated, they're able to communicate with us again and tell us what they need and be able to reflect and plan for the next time that they feel that way. So is de-escalation training, it could be CPI, it could be something else, is that mandated or is that best practice or both? Anytime a student gets to the point of crisis where they are at the point of hurting themselves or potentially trying to hurt a staff member, um, it is required that staff members receive some kind of formalized training Mm -hmm. in order to safely be able to hold students. And um, CPI is one of the approved trainings um, that, you know, Ohio Department of Education has put their stamp of approval behind in a lot of districts. Um, And Ohio use and some other states use as well. Great. My understanding of CPI is international now, a worldwide kind of uh, knowledge base that, that exists. It, that international, true? and it's not just schools either. They're mm-hmm. they're used mm-hmm. a lot in um, hospital hospitals and mental health facilities, nursing homes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, how do we build capacity here in our district? Describe the process that you as trainers go through to build capacity for our staff members. I think it's important that we are proactive with our training. We always have annual training for all of our staff members that need CPI. So at least once a year, every staff member that works with students that potentially can be in crisis receive an annual training. And then staff members that might work with um, populations that can be in crisis more may receive even more training or Mm -hmm. on-site training or, you know, problem-solving it just depends, but at least annually CPI training for everybody. Yes, yeah, I would agree with that. And um, 
I think we have started providing some additional training for um, people who don't necessarily get the full CPI course. Um, at all three of the schools that I've been at in this district, we've done an additional uh, verbal de-escalation course for all of our teachers where we don't certify them in any of the physical holds or any of the blocks. Um, I just go over some verbal de-escalation skills with them and um, some ideas on how they can make their classroom feel more safe for their students. So I'm going to put you on the spot, Julie. Give me an example of a de-escalation technique, a verbal de-escalation technique that you might use. So um, one technique you might use would be um, giving choices. Usually we try to give a couple choices that um, we would be okay with the child choosing. So you would give them the choice of, um, you know, I, I can see that your body is in the red zone. I can see that you're angry. Um, I need us to take a break, and then you can tell me how I can help you. So we could either take that break in the hallway, we could sit down out there, or we could go in the calm-down corner of your classroom. Mm -hmm. And by giving the child those two choices, they feel more in control. They can calm their body uh, more efficiently rather than me telling them, I need you to come with me to this other location. Well, I can tell you I'm de-escalated right now just by listening to you talk about having choices and let's take a break and things like that. So um, that was very powerful there. Speaking of power, what are some of our teachers' reactions and paraprofessionals and custodians and administrators that go through the training? What's their, what's their reaction before the training and then after the training? So I would say for if a staff member's never received CPI training before, their first initial reaction prior to the training is always, oh, I have to do this training that's going to teach me how to hold a student. Mm -hmm. Um, and once they begin the training, they quickly see, like, that's just a tiny component of the right. training. It's kind of like the last resort, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's always a last resort. We only ever want to put our hands and hold a child um, when they are in immediate danger to themselves or others, and, mm -hmm. and everything else that we've tried is not working. Um, so once they see um, the training that 95% of the day focuses on the verbal de-escalation skills and how to get a student back to a calm, safe place, and it has nothing to do with holding, um, they really see the value in CPI and see that it's so much more than just how to safely hold a student. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think there's also people who come with some misconceptions from previous trainings um, where they, they have some uh, feedback of, oh, well, I've, I've seen this unique situation happen before, and I know for a fact that this hold that they taught me last year is not going to work for that situation. Um, and Tyler and I try to be very clear that uh, there are situations where some CPI holds and interventions are not going to work, and that we need to have some backup options for what we can do to keep the, the situation safe. So I, I think that uh, people can come with that misconception as well. And then there's also, you know, people who are new that'll come in with the karate mindset of like, I'm going to learn how to do some exciting physical things today and I can't wait to wrestle with my coworkers. And we always try to tamper that down as well and make sure that they realize that this is something very serious that we um, practice for a good reason and that this is not something fun that we would ever um, encourage people enjoying to do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So within the training, what's the percentage on de-escalation versus holds? I would say it's like 90% de-escalation. Um, mm. We get to the holds in the last 45 minutes of the training. Yeah, so the initial training is at least six hours. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Great, great. So you talked about a little bit of this, but what are some of the other fallacies when people hear CPI or other trainings that they could take to de-escalate or, or 
safely put kids into holds? What are some of the other things that you guys just kind of um, just say, no, that's not true. This is not why we do this. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head earlier. This is not just for special education students. A lot mm -hmm. of people think, why am I doing this? I'm not a special education teacher. I don't work with special education students. I don't work with behavior kids. Why do I have to, you know, know CPI? It's for anybody and everybody. Any student potentially could come into your um, classroom or school building and and have a rough day and, and be in crisis, whether it's something that's going on in their home life, their personal life, something happened on social media and they're having a bad day and they just kind of explode. But like we teach staff members the skills to help those students regulate their emotions and figure out how to communicate appropriately and effectively when they're having a bad day so that they don't explode and, and get into crisis. Yes, and I, I think parents um, also will have the misconception that um, in CPI we're training um, children's teachers to put their hands on them, and that's not at all the point of CPI. Um, the point of CPI is that we're training their teachers to be better prepared for when they're in crisis, when they're experiencing anxiety, so that they can help them. And the ultimate goal is that we never want to uh, put a child in a hold, um, but that if we do get to the point that we have to do that for their own safety or for the safety of the rest of the class, that we're doing it in a way that's not going to hurt that student. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned parents. What's parents' role in de-escalation and the process of, um, I, I'm, I'm loosely terming this like the CPI process. What's the parents' role in this? Um, I, I would love to get to the point where we could train parents um, like we do with teachers on the non-physical um, you know, part of the training where you're just talking about the verbal de-escalation skills because I use it at home with my kids too. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's great when you um, have your own children and they're in crisis and they're freaking out and you can use some of the skills like Julie modeled it works at home too. Um, we haven't gotten to that point where we're training um, parents yet, but I think that would be a great next step that potentially we could look into. Um, right now, parents are notified, and you know, in a worst case, if we ever do have to do a hold, they're notified same day. We, you know, we bring them in, we talk to them of exactly what happened, all of the um, different verbal de-escalation strategies that we tried prior to having to use a hold, and then we meet as a team afterward to debrief and talk about. You know, what can we do better next time? Things like that. Well, I have to mention that Tyler has three boys at home, so I'm sure he's using de-escalation techniques probably on an hourly basis sometimes. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure, yeah. multiple okay. times a day, yeah. And, and Julie, don't don't you worry. Your your son will be born next month. Uh, you'll be using those um, de-escalation strategies oh, I as hope well. he calmly listens to it and follows all of my <laughs> yeah, directions. Yeah, I don't think your son's going to need any of that. They're going to be fine. <laughs> So you mentioned parents being trained. That's like a, a goal of yours. What are other goals that you might have when it comes to CPI training? So right now, we're pretty strategic about who we train in our district. Um, we make sure that we train every special education teacher, every part-time and full-time paraprofessional, every administrator. Um, School psychologists. Uh, counselors. Mm -hmm. And then depending on the building and team, uh, just kind of other people in the building that we feel like would be useful. So we have some custodians that are trained that are great working with students, coaches, things like that. I would love to get to the point where we're training every single staff member mm -hmm. in the district, at least on 
the verbal de-escalation portion of mm-hmm. CPI because it's just so useful mm-hmm. um, when working with students. Yeah, I would agree. I think when I have done um, the verbal de-escalation training at my schools, I've gotten a lot of really good feedback from the teachers and have been able to see them um, when I walk into their classrooms using some of those strategies. And um, I think in so many situations that has avoided um, the need to call the office or the need to call a CPI support team member because they were able to handle it and to de-escalate long before we ever had to be there. So I would love to see that um, in addition to the parent training and, and using some of the same um, strategies and vocabulary that we use in our schools and seeing that um, bridge to the home environment. I know we also use a lot of the zones of regulation in West Claremont, especially at the elementary school level. I would love to um, see parents learn more about that so they can also use those tools in their homes. Mm-hmm. I'm in the green right now, so we're good, right? Um, you mentioned this, and I, I, I want you both to respond to this. Tell me a success story. Tell me a success story that that you've seen over your time here at West Claremont when it comes to de-escalation, um, those type of things. So I would say um, one of the success stories that I'm thinking of is a team who had um, kind of a high-intensity student that would find themselves in crisis situations pretty often um, and just problem-solving with that team. Um, but we worked on, after a crisis, the importance of debriefing with the school team to problem-solve and talk about, you know, what went right, what went wrong, what can we do better next time, um, but also then debriefing with that child who was in crisis, mm-hmm. getting back with them um, maybe at the end of the day or the following day to do the same thing with them to problem solve and talk about, you know, the next time you're in crisis, what can we do better to support you? Mm -hmm. Um, Let's role play, let's practice this. You know, the best time to practice something is not when everybody's in crisis. It's when the student's back and regulated. And um, when I've I've worked with teams and I've seen teams that have been very proactive and just methodical about doing that debriefing with their team and the students, we see so much success. and the, the holds have dramatically decreased. The students start taking ownership of their behaviors, and it's just great to see. So what I heard you say is that the student has to be part of the team. If the student's part of the team, you're going to see better results. Absolutely. Yeah, without, without having the student there as a part of the team, you wouldn't see success. And mm-hmm. I think so often that's overlooked. You think, especially at the elementary level, that, oh, we just need to problem solve and work this out. But no matter the age and grade of the student, bringing them along and being a team member is is so important. Mm -hmm. Julie, anything to add, a success story? Sure. Um, I've seen so many teachers um, just take off with the crisis de-escalation skills, um, but one that really stands out for me this year, um, we had a teacher who was struggling with a student who was frequently acting out in her classroom and was having to call the office um, a couple times a week to pull that student out, de-escalate them, and bring them back in. So not to the point of holding skills or anything like that, but that she needed someone else to verbally de-escalate the student. And um, she came to me one day and she told me that, you know, I think when I have someone else pull this student out of the classroom, their anxiety is increasing. 
I've noticed that they are getting to a different level out in the hallway than they are in my classroom. And I think if I, as the familiar adult, handle this situation, they will de-escalate better. And so I worked out a plan with that teacher so that I would be the one who would continue teaching her classroom, um, and that she would de-escalate this student. We've seen a lot of success with that. So I think seeing teachers feel um, confident with the strategies and feeling like they can take on that ownership of their own classroom and handle situations that might have scared them or made them nervous prior, I think that's a wonderful success. I've absolutely stolen a phrase, sentences from Princeton. Know your student's name, know their story, know their strengths, know their needs. CPI is a big piece of that. Yeah. And what you just talked about, Julie, was she knows her, she knows her student's name, she knows his story, she knows his needs, mm-hmm. and then she's building some strengths out of this. Absolutely, that's a huge success story. So the last thing I have for you, uh, it is called the West Claremont On The Rise podcast, and our core values of relationships, innovation, student-centered, and empowerment, kind of at the, at just the core of what we do. So we're at the end of our time together, and I always ask this question, our cornerstone of the work that we do at West Claremont, how does CPI and crisis de-escalation enhance our core values? So one of our core values that you talked about was building the relationships with Mm -hmm. students. Part of the CPI training that we really focus on is the importance of knowing your students, knowing their background, and just being able to form that relationship with them. If you don't know your students and have a personal relationship with them, it's really hard to be able to de-escalate them, to be able to teach them, do anything proactive and, and meaningful with them. So a big part of CPI is just focusing in on that. Absolutely. And and if a crisis situation is not handled appropriately, that can negatively impact that relationship as well. Um, so CPI and teaching uh, teachers how to do therapeutic rapport and rebuilding those relationships after a crisis moment in class, I think that also um, enhances our relationships between students and teachers. And um, as far as empowerment, I think that's also a big piece of CPI. I think CPI empowers um, the teacher to feel confident in the methods that they will use with their students um, and to feel that they have um, an impact on their students' emotional well-being. Um, and I think that CPI, if used appropriately and if we um, include that student in the uh, debriefing after the event. I think it also empowers the student to take um, control of their own emotions Definitely. and well-being. Yep. And what you both just talked about is very student-centered. They're part of the team. They're being empowered. And our staff is building positive relationships. Absolutely. And when there is a crisis, it becomes a learning event and not an overall negative event for that student and that parent who is really wanting to be a partner to help their students find the success that they're capable of. So, well, I want to end this with, I appreciate both of you. Uh, I appreciate your work. I know that um, the work that you're doing is making an impact on our students and staff in each and every day. Thank you. Thanks, Mark.